Why haven't we woken up like this? Why haven't why haven't we started our day like this? It was literally like a mass awakening for all of us because I think every single person in that room must have told 20 other people and then the next event boom 400 people turn up next event boom BBC turn up and then it just goes viral after three events. I'm Dan Murray-Serta, and this is Secret Leaders. We uncover the raw, personal stories of the world's greatest business people, the key turning points, biggest challenges, and most valuable lessons from their journeys, so you'll get inspiration and tangible ideas to succeed at life. Today's guest on Secret Leaders is Samantha Moyo, now known as Mystic Moyo, the founder of the international sober raving movement Morning Gloryville, which from inception grew to over 200,000 people in 18 months. And while Sam is no longer there, the experience has maintained a sense of connection for people over Zoom during 2020 with regular online morning raves to kick the weekends off right. And I participated in quite a few this year myself. Now, Sam is a wellness entrepreneur with an unusual background and even more more unusual present. So sit back and feast your ears on an unusual story from today's mystic secret leader. Now, Sam, before we get started, we always start with a quick fire round. So cats or dogs? Cats. Are you swayed by the fact that my cat is in the background right here? Yeah, I'm trying to win your cat over. <laughs> Fair enough. As you know, that that doesn't work with cats. But hey, you can try. Uh, music or movies? Music, babe. Spirituality or sexuality? Oh, no, you can't ask me that. Both of them equally. I always, I always ask people the impossible question. Sexuality is spirituality and vice versa. So they're one and the same yeah. thing. And you know what? The smartest entrepreneurs always have a way of combining the answer and giving it. So very good. Parties or alone time? Oh, come on, babe. Um, parties, because of how much isolation I've had. But I love alone time for thinking and strategy. Mm hmm. Shamans are entrepreneurs. Shamans are entrepreneurs. Very good. See, you're doing it with all of them. And here we go. Hedonism or wellness? Oh, come on, babe. I mean, I've, you know, I've been smoking cigarettes and meditating this week. Both. Hedonism is wellness, she says. All right. Easier. Stuck on a desert island and you can take three things. What are they? My vibrator, a notebook to journal in, and... A friend who I find really funny. <laughs> vibrator friend journal. Mm -hmm. First person to answer vibrator. So very good on you. We get a lot of friends, a lot of notebooks. So you're already leading the pack. Okay, going to start at the start. What was your childhood like? Give us a little rundown on what it was like growing up as Samantha Moyo. Yeah, I grew up in Zimbabwe. Um, so I was born there in Zimbabwe. I grew up um, in a time after the country had just won its independence. So there was lots of celebration and excitement in the air. My parents were wild party animals, so I ended up living with my grandmother and my aunt. Um, my childhood was one of those bittersweet. So um, a lot of love from certain members of my family and also a lot of abuse, um, physical and sexual. Um, but you know what? I've been so grateful for the combination of my experience because I realized that's why I'm so um, sensitive and able to read people so well. So I lived in Zimbabwe as, and, and I moved here when I was 15 um, to England, to the Midlands, um, and I was the first black kid in school. 
all the kids were warned that a child from Zimbabwe was moving, so everyone had to treat me really well and like prepare themselves for the first African coming to school. Um, so actually, I had an incredible, um, you know, schooling here in England, quite popular. Then went to uni in Brighton and started taking drugs and partying. So um, that is my childhood in a nutshell. <laughs> okay. So were you aware that people had been told, you know, there's a black kid coming to school, don't treat them differently? Was it like that? Was it like a, literally a racial conversation with people, which in a way was really good for you because they'd made sure that it wasn't going to be weird? But was it weird? It was weird because I actually heard that there was a special assembly where the whole school had to come together, where the headmaster announced this. So it meant that when I came, everyone was really aware of who I was, where I was from. Um, yeah, so it was it was weird. And also I played with it, you know, as you do as a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, OK, fine. It's good to hear that you had like a good playful attitude towards it as well in terms of embracing it. I totally did, because even when I was bullied or people tried to come at me, I would use the African witch doctor curses to scare them off and they'd never come back again. So I'd be like, hey, you, and I'd make all these sounds and honestly, no one would ever bother me again because they'd be like, oh, we don't understand, you know? That's great. Um, having been to Brighton a couple of times, um, I know that whether you're black or white, it's kind of irrelevant because everyone does the, uh, you know, the old hexes on everyone else down there. So did you feel like that was like a real spiritual home for you in England? Did that sort of connect? I think going to university in Brighton was the best decision my soul ever made, you know, because as soon as I went there, I was just able to be, you know, um, sexuality didn't matter. So I could try everything. Um, I've never been fully lesbian or fully straight. So everything was, you know, I remember sex parties. Oh, my God, sex parties, three nights of um, hedonism and just like just the freedom of being whoever I wanted to be and Brighton really champions that as a city um, and university, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is like definitely well-known place for that in, in the UK, right? It's like very, very lax, very good vibes in general. People are so nice. Very good um, vibes, very nice. A bit overgiving with party things. <laughs> um, I remember sometimes going out clubbing and people literally just giving me pills or like this or like that. So, yeah. So not, not a good place to learn self-control necessarily. Not a good place to learn self-control, but I guess that would explain the next part of my journey. <laughs> well, get into the next part of your journey then. What happens? Well, I became known as Captain Hello Titties. Um, that's what emerged. And Captain Hello Titties used to put on parties on the River Thames, you know, massive boat parties and festivals that were really successful. And yeah, I guess I just took my party learnings from Brighton into the world of work. Um, you know, I was also stateless because whilst I was in Brighton, I, um, yeah, I took loads of acid one night and then, you know, went out. Out, saw this gorgeous woman DJing and gave her my number on my Zimbabwean passport, which made it um, invalid. And then I was stuck in the UK for eight years. Yeah. So anyway, Captain Hello Titties had to come up with really creative ways of um, making money because I couldn't get any job. And yeah, um, that was what was born. And then Captain Hello Titties parties were just so crazy. Like we're talking three day after parties 
kind of like the 90s and <laughs> um, and it just got to a point where it was unsustainable so you know me and my partners at the time were just like okay we need to do something different we need we need something to help us sober up. Um, and so we came up with this idea of why don't we put on a party on a Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. when no one can drink or take drugs, including us, and that's how we're going to stop. And so we started Morning Gloryville um, in 2013, and only 26 people bought tickets. Everyone thought what? Well, everyone thought we were crazy. Actually, it was like what a sober party in the morning. But we were just like, yeah, this is the only way we're going to sober up because AA hasn't worked, therapy hasn't worked, trying to sober up ourselves hasn't worked. So let's do it. Let's yeah, let's practice whilst doing basically. Mm-hmm. These founding stories are so interesting. A lot of people work really hard on iterating an idea, on trying to figure out what people want in the world. Some people will entrepreneurship into life by saying, you know, I want to be a founder. I just need to find a problem to solve. There's all these different things. And obviously, there's also the light bulb moment of let's try this thing and see, and it will be fun. This is what we want to do. And maybe other people want to do it as well. That's obviously the way that this was formed. Just take us through that night, if you can remember it, you know, who was with you? Like, what had the night been before? Because this was sort of your last night, I guess, of pure hedonism before embarking on this new idea. So what was that? What is your memory of that forming night of this idea that became a movement? So it was actually after a pirate radio party on the Thames that my friend, oh yeah, and my friend and I just were like, oh my God, okay, something's got to be done differently. Um, So we lived on boats at the time um, in Lisson Grove near Little Venice and um, we just met up to talk about starting a conscious club and what that would look like. And I remember Nico was more coming from like a more dance and theater background. And I was coming from an experiential events background. And we were both like, okay, how is this actually going to work that we will turn up sober, but that will manage to get this happening in the city of London. Um, So it was actually about four months months of um, really thinking about the name like I remember the name being really important morning glory that sounds like something exciting it sounds like a hard on in the morning I will you know it's inspiring Um, and then it was like okay who's our target audience and we were like we don't want to preach the converted we want we want a space where there's city workers there's burners there's hippies there's your mom you know and so how do we get these people in a space the language So if you notice with the language, everything is inclusive. It's not alienating to anyone. Everything is focused on good times and seeing beauty and letting everyone's authentic selves come out. So, yeah, so the copy was really, yeah, was something that took a lot of time as well. And then the music. Now, this was an incredible, um, um, yeah, it was exciting for me. But we chose to have two DJs, a female and a male. And we also decided to arc it so that the music would take people through a journey. And we had one policy, which was 
every single song played had to be fun, funny, uplifting or inspiring. If it wasn't, it wasn't allowed in the space. So that was one thing. Oh, and then we thought, okay, some people don't want to wake up and dance in the morning. Like, you know, not everyone's going to want to do that. So we thought put some yoga in, put some smoothies in. That way people have choice. You can come in, you can dance if you want to, but you don't have to. And what we noticed is giving people choice means that everyone again feels welcome and they don't feel like we're trying to impose our sort of hippie ways on them or anything. So so I think a, a mixture of all these ingredients are what made it something that spoke to lots of different people, you know? So you ran you ran the first one in 2013 and you said like would you, would you say like 25 people turned up 26 people bought tickets 26. babe yeah total yeah. fail yeah and and how many and how many actually turned up so 26 tickets so we 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 had 100 people in the space including all right. the friends we'd um convinced that we weren't mad um yeah. <laughs> um and so there's 100 people in the space and honestly Dan like if you were there that day it was because we're in Village Underground, a 700 capacity space. You know, you've had this event, you've had this six month build up. It's failed financially, but the energy in the space, honey, was just like goosebumping. Like everyone could feel that something new had come into our lives. And we were all looking around with such deep awe and wonder, just like, whoa, why haven't we woken up like this? Why haven't, why haven't we started our day like this? It was literally like a mass awakening for all of us because I think every single person in that room must have told 20 other people. And then the next event, vroom, 400 people turn up, next event, vroom, BBC turn up, and then it just goes viral after three events. So whenever I'm speaking to businesses about products or just anyone, entrepreneurs, I'm just like really focused on that experience and making everything you do super special, even if just one person feels it. Like I, I see so many people thinking about, oh, I want to create a movement before creating the experience for the one person. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI. 
But until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. So BBC have turned up in, in the third one. There's this massive coverage. Now there's like supply and demand, right? So now there's like this d- desire to get Morning Gloryville to more people. What happened? So take us through the next year of your life. Like, you, Did you have co-founders? How did this growth affect you guys? How did you hire your team? How did you fund it? Did you get investors? Like all of these things, take the listeners through the journey of an exponentially growing experiential business. Yeah, so I had a co-founder at the beginning, Nico, and um, I guess we just started having different visions of what it was going to be. So quite early on, we just realized we couldn't work together. Um, So yeah, so that was quite challenging while something beautiful was birthing. And um, literally, like we were getting like floods of emails from all over the world, people flying in, like... CNN, CNBC, Today Show, like literally everyone getting in touch, like to the point that we were just like, let's slow everything down. One press team per per month, no more than that, because it's really easy to say yes to everything. Um, but we wanted to still keep focusing on our experience, saying yes to press, but yeah, focusing on community. Um, and then, yeah, so Nico and I were going through our split up by the sixth event and that was painful actually I totally forgot about that that was really painful and um, at the crux of it was that I think we just didn't know how to listen to each other and we also didn't know how to compromise because we were young and and maybe I shouldn't speak for him because I was young and um, I guess like more ego I don't want to say ego because I'm not like the most egotistical person but I guess it was just like kind of like a marriage it just wasn't working out um yeah just on that note you know I always share with people that when you do have co-founders and things aren't well um one of the things that did help us was getting a mediator we kept doing some practices together just to keep the energy flowing so that we wouldn't affect the business And we were very clear that we wanted it to work with or without um, one of us. And I think because I brought like the team and a lot of the community aspects, it made sense for me to take it on and take it forward, which I missed. I missed having someone doing the numbers because then suddenly six months in, it's now like, okay, ready to become something global. And I was a solo director. Um, 
So I met one of the founders of MySpace. Remember MySpace? Oh, my God. <laughs> what happened to MySpace? Golly. Um, anyway, um, one of the founders of MySpace, um, yeah, just came and, you know, offered to help me raise some money. And it wasn't a lot. We, you know, we raised, it was just 40K, but that's all we needed, really, to take Morning Gloryville Global because some American copycats, 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 I'm not being childish, but I am copycats, were now starting to copy the idea. And so we had to be first to market. So... Yeah, so we, we we trained up all these agents, the glory agents, um, in 12 cities around the world via Skype because I couldn't travel because I was still stateless. Um, because you'd given your passport number to a random DJ you fancied. Exactly, because I'd taken too much acid. <laughs> yeah, if we had more time, I would so poke into that story, but we're here now and it's, it's let's stay focused. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. So, yeah, so we trained everyone over Skype and then launched in 12 cities around the world. And then from there, it just started growing and growing. One of the things was uh, quite early on, the model wasn't cool. Um, so, I mean, I didn't know about fundraising, so I was just learning. Um, and I didn't realize that if you have a company that big, that's so global, you probably need half a million pounds. <laughs> but because I, yeah, I just didn't know that that's what you'd need. So we basically had too little money for the size of our ship. We were growing really fast and started losing money. And But we somehow cash flow is working because I'm fucking good at getting sponsorship and partnerships. Um, so we do have cash, but we're always, always in minus. And um, yeah, and then suddenly we exploded into Twitter. We changed the model. So our first model was um, let's go 50-50 with everyone in expansion. Um, and then our second model was, okay, let's charge everyone for the franchise and then and then split the money as well. Um, I wish we'd done that the first time round because... It's just so much more intelligent. <laughs> but um, I was coming from a real movement mindset of like, let's grow, let's give this to the world. And yeah, let's just be one happy family and just not thinking about the sustainability of the business. So essentially then two years on, we're now like 200,000 people in the community in 23 cities around the world. And I'm constantly in minus 60,000 pounds, which isn't a lot for, you know, your average company. But for me, coming from a background where I don't really understand finance and money, that was fucking stressful. And I guess the, the way the stress impacted my life and work was uh, not always being kind, not always being kind to myself, not always looking after myself and not always being kind at work. So, yeah, so that was it was quite the juggle. Really, I mean, I'm glad you've just stopped on such an interesting point and an interesting question, kindness. So kind to yourself I understand that. And I think every entrepreneur that listens would really, really understand kind to yourself because most of us do just work ourselves too hard and forget about balance and forget how important it is to take the space. Kind to others, such an interesting topic. It comes up a lot in Secret Leaders. You know, uh, one of my favorite questions I ask, and I'll ask you the same, is, you know, what's the most difficult piece of feedback that you've had from colleagues, um, you know, that you just really didn't want to hear or know about yourself and often kindness or not treating people well or you know that is very common the one that people get i'd love to 
unpack that notion of kindness? Like, how did you find out? Was it that people were telling you? Did you realize that? Have you only realized it on reflection? What have you done about that awareness? Do you know what, Dan? I've always been really lucky. Throughout Morning Gloryville, I've always had uh, mystics and shamans working with me. So they've always helped me sort of really keep looking at myself. Um, I always made sure I had team members who were also my friends. So they would tell me, you know, I remember once Caitlin, who was my right hand woman for like two years, just being like, um, after a meeting we had where I kind of had to let go of loads of our team because I was just like, the way the events run and the way the businesses run need to be different. I can't have the same huggy, glittery culture constantly in the office that we have in the event. So I realized I needed a new skill set, I guess, for the team. And so I had to let people go. And I just remember after Caitlin just being like, Sam, I really love you and I really respect you. And, you know, I've stuck by you through a lot. But today, the way you did it was really, really not very nice. And when she, I remember when she told me that and just me being like, oh, shit, like she's right. And and I said, you're right. And um, I think that's that's the best response I could have and just decided to do things differently after and keep someone like her by my side because you need I think when we've got so much going on as businessmen or women we we start to create a shield because we have to because everything's happening so fast and so having people who soften our hearts <laughs> it's not the natural thing to think about okay I need to make sure I have people who keep me soft <laughs> um, but having people who soften our hearts I think is what's going to keep us being heart-based like leaders and making decisions that are for the pe you know for the planet and people um as well so yeah that's it what was the most difficult piece of feedback you received over the journey with morning gloryville Oh, uh, yeah, I think the most difficult feedback I received was actually from investors and people who I was selling my business to around mismanagement of funds. The reason that that was difficult is that I was really like from the get go, I've just been like, I really need a co-founder who specializes in finance. <laughs> um, but obviously, I also was the person responsible for it. So it was really difficult re receiving this information about something that I already knew I, and I constantly told people I was challenged by, but I think on top of like having to do the inner work of like, oh, my shortfallings and all of that was having this being told to me by people who had like fucking Oxbridge education or like who were white male who weren't listening to me sharing that whilst that was happening, I was also experiencing some really complex issues, you know, like running a business. And um, that is not just a business, it's a movement that people are spiritually connected to. It's very different to a tech startup and the way you grow that. So that's number one. And then number two, 
On top of that, I'm a black founder, which is really rare at the time, running a global movement. And I'm experiencing microaggressions because I walk into a room and sometimes a white man doesn't know why he looks at me and is like, oh, you do this. Or like, oh, I didn't think you'd be so intelligent, you know? So I think some of my challenges were receiving feedback and taking the feedback and doing the inner work, but not having the language at the time um, or the ears at the time to also deal with the complexity of what I was dealing with, you know, um, which I'm really grateful, by the way, because you don't become Mystic Moyo from, <laughs> from not experiencing complex challenges and sort of just like overcoming it all and learning how to hold all of that. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel really grateful and excited for some reason. <laughs> It must be from upgrading from Skype to Zoom. It's the only logical conclusion. So obviously Morning Gloryville is still going on, right? So it's been a big part of people's lives in 2020, but you haven't been part of Morning Gloryville for quite some time. So what happened? Usually you might say something, what happened at the end? But this isn't the end. This is transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so we are at about minus 60 grand constantly, right? And I'm feeling the pressure of of that and also realizing that I've come to the end of my dharma with it. Why did I start it? Because I wanted to bring conscious clubbing to the world stage and spread love, peace and joy through dancing. Um, after five years of doing that and waking up at 6am um, so many times, I think my spirit was done. Um, I got in touch with one of the Virgin CEOs and he um, uh, connected me with a couple of guys who he was like maybe they will buy the business from you and I you know I speak with tenderness because um, I just want to honor myself and any other founder out there who has sold their business and you know it really is like letting go of a child and you know you only know that when you experience it so I, I met these people who I felt okay, yeah, I'm happy to sell the business to. There was, it's really difficult to talk about this publicly because some of the guidance I was given from these advisors wasn't entirely above board, but I made the choice to listen to them because I thought they knew better, <laughs> as you do. So, yeah, so I, I sold the business to them, I guess, under the illusion, which I now know was an illusion, that they were going to ensure that my creative direction would be maintained and that I would have agency in ensuring that the brand continued to evolve, to evolve culturally, which was really important for me. You'll notice during my time with Morning Gloryville, it was always relevant, always in the press and always getting with the time. I just wanted it for the brand and the business, like for the next 300 years. Unfortunately, when I did hand over control to these business people um, and literally gave them all my contacts and everything, they didn't uphold their end of the deal. And that was really painful. It was like, 
like I, I know that I've always over trusted people, but this was blind faith. This was blind trust. Like I basically sold and gave my business to people with trust, without a contract, first of all. And that's something I'll never do ever again. You know, number two, I also created an instance of giving my business to four men, four white men, because I was in the mindset that a lot of us are in of that's what intelligence looks like or, you know, that's what good business people look like um in, in hindsight I like not even in hindsight I'm happy I did that because I learned what I you know everything I know now but I guess like moving on in the future I'm all about creating a really diverse investor team like so important like the whole thing of like oh let's get you know, a group of guys who are all friends to invest isn't good for a business because it's not going to have different perspectives. Like, so that was it. So I sell my business to people who at the time I feel, ah, oh, yes. And then we have this fallout after. And if I'm really honest, Dan, I can't talk about it because more than anything, like, it was just wrong. It was just fucking wrong. Like, I got screwed, and yes, I made the decisions that put me in that situation, but what then happened was I had to deal with the shadow of the world, which is, like, racial and economic injustice, and everyone around not saying anything because everyone is friends and afraid of people who have high positions in business, you know? Like, no one's going to talk back to the founder of this and this if they're, like, a superstar investor. Um, but I did, and I'm really happy I did. Like, I've spoken out about like my entire journey and I think sometimes it's misunderstood that I'm not taking responsibility for my part in it but to everyone listening I really take responsibility for my part in everything that didn't go right for my business and at the same time fucking racial and economic injustice is real in business and anyone out there I just ask you to just like be part of the change, like speak back to investors when they're not being nice or like don't feel like your balls are being held by the patriarchy. Like I feel really passionate about that. So anyway, after selling the business and it going really wrong, I got really angry. <laughs> whoop, whoop. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, and so I threw myself into activism. So I was working for, you know, Extinction Rebellion. I was doing decolonization work. And that was a really good way of me channeling and understanding what had happened. I needed to understand capitalism. I needed to understand the history of it. I needed to understand how it was that I'd made some of the decisions I'd made so blindly. And, you know, the journey of the last few years really helped me with that. When I met you, obviously, you know, you're already full on in your spiritual like stage of your life, understanding how to apply that with entrepreneurship. Having had the experience that you've had in terms of a movement, in terms of seeing scale like that, where are you at at the moment with your life thinking about, you know, mysticism, your impact to spread spiritual awareness to people? 
are you in a transition period or are you where you think you have ended up, if that makes sense? Have you landed? I, I think I've actually landed. Um, I think the transition was the last three years with selling Morning Gloryville and like moving on. Um, and um, yeah, just reconnecting to my new purpose. And what I've realized is like all this work, these last few, you know, this last decade of like growing this global movement, living with indigenous communities and tribes in Africa and, um, you know, being on the front line of many movements, actually helping babies come into the world is actually all part of um, me now being a doula for the business world and like in the same way morning gloryville became a space where city workers could come and have fun wear some glitter before going to work mystic moyo and the work and the events i'm going to be bringing through next year are about supporting business leaders as individuals and your companies as well through the transition that's happening. And what is happening, people are asking. We're going through a spe species evolution. The world is changing. The vibration of the planet is changing. There's so much science about this. Like, there's going to be more things that start happening next year and the years to come. You know, the pandemic, BLM, all this, haha, literally tiny things. There's more things to come. And everyone's going to have to become a mystic. You, we're going to have to in, engage all of our inner mysticism and shamanism so that we can read patterns, read omens, Dan, because like analysis and spreadsheets aren't going to be the only way for us to solve the challenges ahead. You know, it's interesting when we get entrepreneurs on the show, you know, I'm always conscious, you know, we have lots of different types of listeners on the show. And yes, it's lots of leaders and people in business and entrepreneurs, but also there's people starting in the journey and we use lots of jargon, SaaS and e-com and all this stuff. And I get people just explain what they mean quickly. What do you mean by shaman, by doula, by mystic? What are these things? What like just, you know, break it down for people. So if they just listen to the segment, they get some connection to it as well. For me, a mystic is someone who loves and respects the invisible world who knows how to listen yeah who knows how to read signs and omens and listen to messages that come from the unseen world um part of mysticism is also really uh learning to listen to one's own intuition like super deeply because actually i learned through remote viewing that you can travel anywhere in the world by going into your own body, you know? This is like technology that even fucking the MI6 are using that isn't out in the world. So being a mystic is just like listening and learning to read between the lines. But the really important thing I want to say here is you know, the witches were burnt like hundreds of years ago because people started becoming afraid that there were these people walking around who could see through them, you know, who could see where the blocks are in their body, who could see when they weren't telling the truth and it scared loads of people. So they fucking burnt them. There was a whole, like, let's just get rid. And so we've all been suppressing it. And so what I'm excited about, Dan, is that actually it's not, I'm not just Mystic Moyo, 
you're fucking mystic Dan. Like, everyone's got this in them. And so, you know, let's just wake it up, own it. Because I think it's, like, part of, like... It's just part of the shift that needs to happen. And I'm sorry, I'm not... I'm just going to say the one last thing. You know, it's also known that when people, countries were colonizing different, you know, different worlds and stuff, the first thing everyone went for was spiritual leaders, the shamans or the spiritual mediums. Why would you do that? Because that's like the heart of a people. That's the soul. That's what keeps us like feeling alive beyond anything. That's what tells us that, you know, even if we have nothing, when the air and the trees are here, we belong, you know? So, yeah, I just ask everyone listening um, to just like connect with the mystic inside you, just like, and just allow it. And just let's let go of this whole oh, that's woo-woo kind of chat, you know? Like, new world. I mean, I love that, as you know, but I guess my, um, you know, I've got you on on the show here. You've got all this experience. What can leaders like myself, what can entrepreneurs like myself, what can, it doesn't even matter if you're at the top of uh, of of the chain in terms of leadership, you know, you can create change within. What can we do? to be more conscious leaders inside of, inside of organizations? What would be your tips for starting on this journey that set us on the right path, that keep us curious, keep us listening, rather than just thinking, well, I'm not ever going to be as woke as Sam, so I might as well not even start? Yeah, first of all, I'm not that woke. I am a vegetarian who eats meat, a sober activist who drinks a load, and an addict recoverer who sometimes has the cheeky woohoo um anyway so i just want that to be clear so in terms of steps guys um the first thing i would recommend is if you go for a walk for like one hour a day or like whatever elongate that make that two hours spend a bit more time with nature in nature the best thing you can do on your walk is yes have your walk listen to your podcast then turn it off and then fucking hug a tree touch a tree look at the plants listen to the plants just walk a bit slower start to develop a relationship with nature look at the trees look at the flowers that alone will you'll start to you'll just start to notice an awareness developing it's called medicine walking actually so medicine walking is a practice that people do to just connect with the earth connect with themselves and just receive messages from the other realm so something as simple as that number two is tech sabbath guys shabbat shalom i'm not even jewish but fucking Take a day of no tech, tech Sabbath. Okay, it could be a Friday at work. Maybe Friday is the day you do work, you see your teams and everything, but you don't look at your laptop. Everything you do, you're writing. Just challenge yourself to a tech Sabbath. I promise you, doing three tech Sabbaths will completely revolutionize your working week. So, yeah. Um, And I guess number three is you (laughs) you can't hold your heart enough and just say, I love you. Like, that's probably the simplest thing, holding your heart. And, and and this might be hard for guys. I don't know. I don't want to stereotype. I'm so sorry. But yeah, like how often do you hold your heart, like right hand, left hand on your heart and just be like, dude, 
I love you, you know, like, just say it. And at first it might sound uncomfortable, but say it three or four times and it will start to feel real. And by doing that, you're just cultivating like actual self-love that's not in the head of like, I know I'm a great person. It's like in the body, like I feel like a good person, you know? Yeah, so beautifully summarized, as I just wrote down, pay attention, disconnect from tech and connect with yourself. Beautiful. My last question, what is the best piece of advice you have for listeners that want to take a more spiritual path and a more spiritual journey with their leadership? What is the best piece of advice you could give them? This is going to sound really manipulative, but I do Even think... Even better. Manipulate everyone. There you go. <laughs> do you know what? I think sign up with a session for Mystic Moyo. Like, there's nothing like giving your time to someone who has walked the path of pain and liberation and understands this stuff. Um, there is nothing like just allowing newness to come into your life. That is really all mysticism and shamanism is about. When you fly over to South America, you don't know who you're going to meet in the fucking heart. Like, you don't know, but you just choose to give yourself to it, you know? So... Uh, yeah, so sign up with Mystic Moyo and I promise you, I promise you, you're going to just like leave feeling like, whoa, oh my God, what's happened? I've got superpowers and I feel fucking amazing and sexy. And sexy. Great. So uh, part of the advice is uh, remembering to stay sexy. And actually on that, I think we should end doing the mantra with me of... I'm a sexy sex bomb. I'm a sex bomb. I'm a sex bomb. I'm a sex bomb. I'm a sex god sex bomb. I think that has got to be the best way we've ever ended a show. And so what better way to leave it there? Thank you so much, Sam. Thank you so much. Lots of love. Bye. Next week on Secret Leaders. Technology and data enable us to measure the impact of a company as dependably as its profit. Now, if we do that, if governments mandate that every company starting two years from now must publish impact-weighted accounts, we're going to look at companies in a completely different way. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Next week on Secret Leaders, we've got the so-called grandfather of British venture capital, Sir Ronald Cohen, a living legend with billions of capital invested successfully. But he's joining us in inspiring fashion to talk about philanthropy. So tune in or you'll miss out. We want to make this podcast as good as it can be, and we need your help to do just that. So what do you think would make it better? What conversations should we be having that we aren't? What kind of guests would you like to see us interview that we haven't got yet? Tell us on social or email us on hello at secretleaders.com. Thanks.
If you'd like to hear more leadership stories, we now send a weekly email newsletter. It takes less than a minute to read and provides some enjoyable factoids about great leaders so you can impress people with your knowledge and maybe even become a better leader yourself. You can sign up at our website, secretleaders.com. This episode was brought to you by me, Dan Murray Serta. I encourage you to follow me on social at Dan Murray Serta for all sorts of stories on mental health and entrepreneurship. But we've also got our social channels at Secret Leaders back up and running now too. So go follow us there, particularly our brand new YouTube channel, where you'll be able to see interviews just like today's on video. If you enjoyed today's episode, screenshot and tag us to share the episode or tweet us. It means a lot. And if you really loved it, why not review us please too? It only takes a second. This episode was produced by Rich Martell with editing done by Harry and Daniel at Lower Street Media, artwork by Charlie Stopford and bringing it all together, our head of podcasts, Will Stollerman.